This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm ready. And today we are again joined by our three paleontologist friends, Kai, Yens, and Javi. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Outstanding. Very good, yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you again for joining us. We, we, we had such a blast yesterday having you guys on and talking about the uh, hard science behind Jurassic Park that uh, you know we figured we'd make this, a, make this a double feature for the week and give everybody a treat. So we had Ryan on last week. We got you guys on this week. But just in case anybody missed the show yesterday and they're just tuning in today for some reason, uh, could you just give us a brief rundown real quick of uh, who you are and what it is you do? Well, we're paleontologists. We take up dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Kai. I'm a PhD candidate at NC State, and I work here at the uh, North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. Yeah, and I'm I'm Haviv. I'm a master's student at NC State University, and I work here at the museum as well. And I'm Jens Kosh. I'm also a PhD candidate at NC State University and work here at the museum. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, if anybody missed the show yesterday, we basically had a deep dive on the differences between Dilophosaurus in real life and Dilophosaurus in Jurassic Park, the movie. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Today is going to be a little bit different. We're, are, we are going to talk about the movie, but we're going to kind of give you guys a, an open forum to discuss uh, dinosaurs. And I'm sure that Brady and I will probably have a lot of questions for you uh, that we're going to throw back. And a lot of our uh, maybe misunderstandings and prejudices against the dinosaurs that we've brought into the viewing of this movie with us that we might need some clarification on uh, uh, yeah. one being the difference between a pterodactyl and a pteranodon so <laughs> <laughs> i think we're going to get into that in just a minute but uh if you guys are ready we'll go ahead and just jump straight into minute number 74 today in the previous minute we saw dennis nedry encounter the dilophosaurus as the minute ended nedry saw the dinosaur in full-on predator mode as it let out its frills and snarled at him at 74 minutes nedry recoils in horror at what he's seeing before him the Dilophosaurus spits a thick black goo onto his shirt. Nidri tries to pull it off, but it's too sticky and thick. At 74 minutes and 4 seconds, Nidri gets up and runs away from the Dilophosaurus. He hightails it back towards his jeep. At 74 minutes and 9 seconds, Nidri turns around and gets hit in the eyes by the Dilophosaurus' thick black venom. Nidri screams in pain and turns around. The venom has blinded him. He tries to rub the venom away, but it sears into his eyes. At 74 minutes and 15 seconds, Nidri attempts to get back into his jeep but slams his forehead into the doorway. He falls down to the ground and into the waterfall below. The Barbasol can pops out of his jacket and is washed away downstream in the current. At 74 minutes and 24 seconds, Nidri gets back up and is able to close the door behind him. Nidri takes a big breath and grabs a hold of the steering wheel. At 74 minutes and 30 seconds, the rattling sound of the Dilophosaurus frills can be heard. Nidri turns his head to see that the beast has snuck into the car and is now in the passenger seat. At 74 minutes and 34 seconds, we cut to an exterior shot of the Jeep. We can barely see the Dilophosaurus attack Nidri through the front windshield. The whole Jeep rocks as the dinosaur tears Nidri apart inside. The camera pans down to reveal the Barbasol can at the bottom of the waterfall. It is now slowly being covered up by a steady flow of mud. At 74 minutes and 47 seconds, we smash cut to a shot of a water pipe with a steady flow of water pouring out. Grant sticks his face into the water flow and washes away the mud. Grant turns around and starts yelling for Tim, who is presumably stuck in the top of the tree. The camera pans up to show the tour vehicle stuck in the tree. 
And thus ends Minute 74 of Jurassic Park. All right, so we just saw the death of Dennis Nidri. Uh, screen legend Dennis yes. Nidri. And unfortunately, <laughs> uh, the last minute of... Um, oh, I forgot the actor's name. Wayne Knight. Thank you, Wayne Knight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Newman from Seinfeld, one of my favorites. Um, uh, in the movie, and it's uh, unfortunate that uh, we don't get more of him in it. Because as you and I talked about before, Brady, that we really think that he's probably some of the best acting in the movie. Yeah, I definitely agree. And this is um, one of my favorite moments in the movie is these, these whole couple of minutes here. Because it is just it's nerve wracking yeah. and it's downright mean because this thing is coming at the Dilophosaurus is such an adorable, interesting creature that I really enjoy like looking at and seeing everything that it's doing. And then it slowly but surely starts to show its true colors. And it's suddenly like not cocking its head back and forth anymore. It's not hooting. It's just observing him. And then of course it lets its frills up, spits the venom at him. And then it's in the car with him. Well, and, and whenever the movie his, is also uh, not very nice to Dennis. Now maybe he gets to have his, moment where he hits his door, hits his head, his head hits yeah. the car frame right before he feels safe in the yeah. car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, do you guys think it's the same Dilophosaurus that's in the car with him that was outside? Or I wonder about that. Yeah. I, I was watching the minute very closely. I noticed that oh, the only door that's open is his door. So the Dilophosaurus yeah. also knows how to open doors. Spoilers for later. <laughs> <laughs> Because I've had that debate with people before. I, I'd never really thought about it. I just always assumed it was the same one. And because, you know, he's blinded and on the ground and everything, it had time enough to jump over and get in the car. But somebody else said, no, like these things are all over the place watching him right now. Well, I don't know if that's right because he is about to uh, get his car onto the road that takes him straight to the East Dock. So unless the East Dock road goes through the unconfined <laughs> Dilophosaurus paddock, that's that true. might be a security breach right there. So I think I think we're to understand that they had gotten out in the yeah. wild there. Okay. But, yeah. but I, I will say that, yeah, it is very possible that there would be more than one of these if it's able to, because I mean, it would have to cross between our our point of vision to get into the car right yeah, it and it's it, in the book yeah. there definitely are more than one it's they I do mean, oh in, yeah in the book they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the book they actually get to uh, in the book the tour actually gets to see the local souls and yeah they see several ones <laughs> i tell you what speaking of the book and this sequence in the book, it is nasty. Yeah. You remember this? Well, no, actually, I mean, it's been so long since I've read the book. Can you fill me in a little well, bit on, on what Basically, happens? it's more or less the same thing, but he really starts to say, like, all right, screw this plan. Yeah. Screw, to hell with getting the, the embryos out of here. I just need to get in the car and be alive. And then all of a sudden, he feels, you know, he's now blinded and everything. He feels this sharp pain across his stomach and reaches down and he feels his guts like That's right. Out. I and do remember. His yeah. last thought, he, he falls on the ground and suddenly he just, he's aware of this immense pressure on both sides of his head. And it says all he could hope was that it would all be over soon. Yeah, it's just like, Jesus. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, I will say yeah, that this is God. still one of the best deaths in the movie. I mean, besides, yeah. you know, uh, Gennaro getting, you know, shaken in half by yeah. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, because... The the puppetry on the Dilophosaurus right before it gets him, it has this like snarl to its lip. I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw that, like yeah. the upper lip. I don't even think it's actually it, it could do that, but the way it snarls when it's like looking at you is like so mean. Yeah, you know, it's like one of the scarier moments of the movie. And that's something they actually went and intentionally put into the the different dinosaurs. I know the uh, animatronics for the raptors. They spent a lot of time getting their lips to kind of curl. Yeah, uh, funny, show their teeth. We don't know for a fact dinosaurs had lips. Because um, <laughs> yeah. I, I did see an interesting mm-hmm. discussion actually about that, um, that lips actually correlate with the presence of enamel on the teeth. So enamel is the coating on the outside of all of our teeth. 
And we need lips because it keeps our mouths moist. And crocodiles can afford to have no lips only because they, they mostly spend time in water. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we have now, was- on dinosaur teeth. So there's a theory that they did have lips and they're actually, when their mouths were closed, you couldn't see their teeth hanging out. Like you could see the T-Rex's teeth hanging out. That might not be accurate. But yeah. Now, didn't that come out like in the last year or two? Uh, they, I don't want to say discovered, but there was a theory that it come about that T-Rex had lips or was that uh, or something that was already yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, is there any evidence that uh, the Dilophosaurus may have had some sort of like a beaked uh, type situation going on? Probably not. Um, if it has teeth in the front of its mouth, a beak wouldn't be very helpful. That's um, true. Yeah, but it is related to animals that develop beaks, and actually, beaks develop many times independently in dinosaurs. So, uh, we think that all birds have a common beaked ancestor, but there are plenty of dinosaurs that look nothing like birds and were way too big to fly, but they still had. Um, they lost teeth and developed beaks instead. That's Those are the animals I'm specializing in in my research. Is there any one of those dinosaurs that has a beak that we might uh, that might be one of the more popular uh, uh, ver- uh, dinosaurs that we might know of? Sure. I mean, like uh, Triceratops mm-hmm. is very famous. It's got a beak. There you go. Um, okay. And Pretty much all Onitiscians have Yeah, Stegosaurus, Ankylosaurus, <laughs> they're all beaked. They didn't have a lot of teeth in the front of their mouths. But there are also beaked theropod dinosaurs, closely related to raptors that develop beaks several times as well. Canning Athens. Yeah, it was like the, the egg thief dinosaurs over raptors, um, the ostrich mimic dinosaurs hmm. lost all their teeth and had to rely entirely on beaks to Like eat. the Gallimimus in the movie. Yeah, those guys are beaked. Oh, yeah. And I, I noticed it's... in a paper that uh, came out of China, um, uh, it was looking at this dinosaur death pit. And it, it was this dinosaur lim- limusaurus, limusaurus. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was extreme ontogenetic change through its life. So that the juveniles the, have teeth have and the teeth. adults don't. Yeah, and as they get older, they lose the teeth and they and they become uh, indentured. Beaked, yeah. 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 So, so they lost all their teeth and developed beaks to, to eat. That is crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Is there any, any equivalent of that that lives today that goes through that uh, change? Not really. There are, the genes to grow teeth still exist in all birds. And scientists hmm. have actually uh, turned those genes on and developed uh, chicken embryos that have proto-teeth. They've never taken them fully to term. But if, that, if you wanted to create a dinosaur, that's how you would do it. You wouldn't try cloning them using amber. You would actually just take the dinosaurs we have right now and just activate their dormant genes. Retro engineer them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's okay. the Nosaurus project. <laughs> and people are so, actually doing this. This is a real thing that's being done right now. So I have we have kind of a crazy thing. So Brady and I the other night went to a dinner for the local chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation here in Baton Rouge. And one of the things they were excited to show us was some, uh, I don't know if it was gene editing or DNA editing that they are, and this is public knowledge, I'm not giving away any kind of like, uh, so they are trying to uh, almost correct some DNA sequences uh, through some sort of science that completely seems like magic to me when I'm looking at it. Um but they were basically going back and, and uh, quote unquote fixing uh, some cystic fibrosis genes in adults to where they're trying to get to a, to a point where it would almost be like an outpatient. This is of course like 50, 60 years down the road or whatever uh, where someone would go into a clinic and then just like have their DNA rewritten almost. So you're saying that, uh, so what, what I'm talking about here, like actually going in and like correcting DNA, is that something that you think with, with the chickens to develop a, a dinosaur, that that's a technology that might be here in the next couple of decades? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to say exactly when, but, uh, yeah. yeah, people have developed teeth in chickens. They've developed bony tails. 
Um, so I think it's just the hands would be mm-hmm. an issue. But I mean, yeah, it's people working on it. Good God. See, this is the kind of thing I want to see from a, if they were to make another Jurassic Park, like kind of like that kind of science, you know, like I, I think, you know, hearing whenever it came out of, I guess the knowledge came out to the public a few years ago that uh, uh, DNA, uh, I guess the half-life on it is like, uh, what, 500,000 years or something like that. Like we would never be able to use it to create dinosaurs. It, I think it'd be awesome to see what you're talking about some science fiction could be made with that kind of science and probably yeah. far more terrifying. not just life scientists find a way as well <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so that's i don't really know if i have anything else to say about this particular minute of jurassic park well, but I uh the, i like the transition very well but uh between natalie stas and how the camera paints down pants down you see the water and then you see the water alan grant washing his face yeah. i like yes that. Yeah, no, that's 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 a, a fantastic kind of edited between the two. And Spielberg is really good at doing stuff like that, like taking a, an element from one scene and kind of playing onto it into the transition to I've the next never, one. I've never noticed that, 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 you know, it cuts from the mud to Grant Washington's face off his mud. Now, what are y'all's thoughts on the Barbasol can? Because <laughs> I have talked about this before, especially in our most recent Patreon episode, mm-hmm. in that I think the whole idea of, of the can and the fact that it's lost – is to say, you know, like crime doesn't pay. Like, yeah, you can't do this kind of thing. And, you know, th- so there goes the whole plan. To go back to it kind of breaks that conceit, I think, a little bit. And it feels almost like kind of a, a safety, like, okay, well, if we want to do a sequel, we can go back to this. And that just feels a little forced to me. I love the idea of the fact that the can is gone, the plan is gone, and, you know, bad people <laughs> do, do what? Chaos, Chaos takes over. over. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what do you guys think about the the whole Barbasol can thing? When I saw it, it, you know, fall out of his pocket and get covered by mud, I knew immediately he wasn't going to make it out, even when I was a little kid or something. Yeah. This is his whole reason for doing this, and he can't succeed now. There's, you know, there's no, no other hope for him. That's kind of what I took from that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. I, um, yeah, but, they, they get in the game, but I never beat the game, so I don't know how it ended. <laughs> Uh, there's some videos out there on YouTube you could, uh, but it ends probably in how you think it would, but, uh, you know, it's funny how like they, they revisited that idea in Jurassic world of the embryos getting off the Island, but they were a little bit way, they were much more direct with it this time that Dr. Wu puts them in the package and is airlifted by helicopter just so they could keep that area open for a sequel. And, uh, you know, uh, what, one of the premises that, uh, Colin Trevorrow has talked about for a sequel to Jurassic park is, or excuse me, Jurassic world, uh, the idea of what if dinosaur gene code went open source and uh, they could probably go for some really interesting different directions with this. But l- let me just ask you guys real quick. What, what were your thoughts on the Jurassic Park sequels, Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, and uh, Jurassic World? <laughs> okay, so I personally like Lost World also very much um, because both Jurassic Park and Lost World were in most ways top-notch science at its time. We're actually presenting mm-hmm. the best, mostly to the best of our knowledge of things. For the time, and yeah. I was very much disappointed when Jurassic Park 3 totally left that room. Mm-hmm. They didn't even try. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even yeah. try. I was actively yeah. offended by Jurassic Park 3. I thought it was uh, a terrible movie. 
Yeah, it's. I, I do remember when I walked out of the theater, just saying, "God, I miss Michael Crichton." <laughs> I really. I'm, by that, I, I, he was still alive, and I miss his presence in these movies. I enjoyed some of the action sequences in Jurassic Park Three, and I thought the uh, was it the Spinosaurus? Is that what yeah. they called it? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was actually a pretty cool addition to having the large forearms that it could use, like the fight between it and the and the T Rex on. Uh, on Isla Sorna was pretty cool, but beyond that, it didn't have that underlying uh, kind of like theme that Jurassic Park and the Lost World both did. Jurassic Park, where you know life finds a way, is kind of the theme that carries on through the movie. And then I think Michael Crichton kind of tried to expand on chaos as an idea in um, in the Lost World, whereas Jurassic Park three was just like a fun popcorn car chase movie. It was the Fast and the Furious of the Jurassic World <laughs> series. That's very accurate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, are you guys looking forward to Jurassic World? Uh, two. Yeah, I am. I mean, I I really want to see feathers on those dinosaurs. That's my yeah. thing. I I really want them to to put in the feathers. I'm not a huge movie critic, so I didn't have too many problems with Jurassic World or even Jurassic Park three. Any new new Jurassic Park material is always awesome for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. I really do want them to start putting feathers on these animals, just because that's how the public is exposed to these ideas. And there's so many people still out there who still don't know that birds are dinosaurs or that dinosaurs would have feathers and and so when you have like media like this that is presented to the world, it's a great opportunity to at least give them a little bit of, of science. And, and it's a huge responsibility there. So, Yeah, they don't have to do it. The movie's mostly all there for entertaining people, but they it's an opportunity. Have extra. Though, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's there for entertainment, but look what it's done for the three of you. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. These, I, I told my mother-in-law that we we're going to be coming to record the show. She's like, and I told her, oh, the, they're probably going to ask us about, you know, what they got wrong in Jurassic Park. And she's like, you guys know it's a movie, right? And I'm like, yes, but I've never had with anybody about dinosaurs. They always, the first thing they ask is, so are you guys cloning them yet? Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> and I think it's real enough to ask the paleontologists when they meet them. And so I feel like it is important to talk about this stuff from a scientific perspective and treat it like it's serious and real because people do. And so, I mean, yeah, it's not their job. It's our job. But if they want to help us make our job easier by telling the truth, that would be great, you know. Well, on that note, um, you know, and this is something, again, I talked to Ryan a little bit about last week. Uh, this film kind of brought dinosaurs back into pop culture in a, in a cool way, uh, more so than had been in, a, in, in, you know, years past. Do you think that, uh, you know, do you attribute Jurassic Park for that kind of resurgence in dinosaur interest that came, came around in like the early 90s? And do you think it's been for better or for worse? For Absolutely. Jurassic, World? Jurassic Park, I think, for making it. Yeah, Jurassic Park. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We actually gave Steven Spielberg an award. Our society, we belong to the Society of Paleontologists, gave him an achievement award for, you know, increasing public interest in dinosaurs. Because, yeah, right before the movie came out, in like the late 80s, I would say, there was a real lull. I mean, people thought of dinosaurs as yeah. big, dumb, slow lizards. And they didn't, they, they're, they're all dead. Why do we care? And this movie kind of showed that, no, they're dynamic. They're living things that are around us all the time. And they're important to understand and they're cool, you know? So I think it really did. I mean, for us, it definitely uh, had that impact, but it had the impact on the general public as well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, you know, I, I guess being, uh, even though I'm 37 now, being a little boy my entire life, just a 37 year old little boy, like dinosaurs were one of those things that were never not cool to me. Like I was like, oh, they're making a movie where I can actually like see them moving around at high speeds. That's going to be really awesome. <clears throat> but I did notice a lot of kids who were younger than me, it wasn't something they were like talking about a lot. And then once Jurassic Park came out, it seems like they got into the public consciousness and they really haven't gone away since then. Uh, it, it's really, there's not a whole lot of other things that are presented 
to the public that way that have just kind of like become like something that is there all the time, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, you know, Kai, a second ago, uh, you said something, you were talking to, uh, someone about, you know, what, what did Jurassic Park get wrong about dinosaurs, which I'm sure you probably do get a lot of questions about. Is there anything to the three of you that sticks out in this movie as just like a very grave, uh, misinterpretation of what dinosaurs were? I got this. So <laughs> the, the, the most painful thing for me, and I love the movies. I, lo- I really do love seeing dinosaurs in a movie, but when I look at the raptors, it hurts. And it's not just the feathers. What it is, is their wrists. Yeah. To make mm. a dinosaur wrist bend that way, like it's like a praying mantis, you'd have to physically break the bone from the wrist. They can't. Oh. And so I like, I empathize with the raptors because I've, I've broken my wrist. And so I'm like, I don't want this to happen to me, you know? So, <laughs> so they really should be able to bend their arms so that their pinkies would touch their, their, their arm bone, like bend it along that axis. They can't bend their wrist um, to kind of like in and out like, like we can. And so just seeing that, it's, it's physically painful for me to see broken yeah. dinosaur wrists. That, that also oh. is a thing that was very common in late 80s, early 90s in dinosaur art. Just, yeah. mm-hmm. A lot of the artists didn't care that much. Yeah, they just like did them however they wanted. They didn't look at the skeletons. They just constructed them. Yeah. And a lot mm-hmm. of that got better. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I... Probably for me is the brachiosaur standing up on its uh, hind legs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> we don't know they did that. We, yeah, there actually was a paper by Heinrich Nelson um, about five years ago, which uh, looked at sauropod rearing possibilities, uh. and he basically came up with all of them could, but if anybody of them wanted to avoid doing that, would be brachiosaurus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, seriously. But hey, frog DNA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how we get around it. Yeah, frog DNA. That, yeah, our, your T Rex vision being motion oh, yeah. based—that is the yeah. thing that annoys me the most. <laughs> yeah, you have I, these awesome birds slash dinosaurs, which are the same out there with their incredible vision. Yeah. And why? Yeah, vision on the dinosaurs do well, definitely. Vision, breathing—those yeah. are the things they do far better yes. than most mammals. Although I did love in. in uh, today's minute and yesterday's minute, um, the way the Dilophosaurus bobbed its head back and forth, because that's something that real birds do, and the reason for that is because they can't move their eyeballs independently. So if they want to get more than one look at something, if they want to figure out how far away something is, they have to look at it from different pers- from different views. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right okay. And to the left. And then that, that gives them what our eyes do, which is when we can look left and right. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I wonder how much, you know, I, I know that the um, that they did a lot of research uh, with kind of like the the theory on dinosaur at the time to, to get kind of like their posture and stuff like that correct for the movie. But I don't know. Uh, I'm wondering how much Stan Winston Studios at the time maybe worked with uh, paleontologists to get that kind of, because that's that's a really small detail the Dilophosaurus doing that you know yeah that's that's really cool uh, and I remember also reading at the time and and this was kind of my first time seeing it uh, the way that the Tyrannosaurus Rex's posture was in the movie it was not standing straight up like a guy in a suit which is probably what all the dinosaurs uh, depictions in movies were to that point like Godzilla I mean Godzilla's not a dinosaur I know but uh, having a guy in a suit uh, standing upright is kind of how we formed our the vision in our mind of how a Tyrannosaurus Rex would stand. This was movie was, to my memory, is the first movie to depict one kind of uh, walking or standing. I don't know how to describe it, or but it's, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so um, I don't know. Do you, do you what what do you think that they got very right about the movie? I guess is is the flip side to a all that. Lot. 
They did, yeah. <laughs> That's what I mentioned with those. It was top-notch science at its point, mostly. Yeah. And things that, that they only theorized then that we now know are true or we have the best evidence to support, you know, they, they were saying in the movie at the time, which I thought was pretty gutsy of them to do. Um, yeah, the, the transverse posture was a big one because um, you'd actually have to, once again, break the hips to make it stand upright like that. They just they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they exaggerated the intelligence of the raptors, but, I mean, they were among the most intelligent of dinosaurs, definitely. Um, and we have evidence that they that they at least fed in the same area, if not actually traveled together in... Moving in herds. Moving yeah. herds, yeah. We, we do have one spectacular fossil bed from Alaska of hundreds of dinosaurs called Pachyrhinosaurus. They're kind of like Triceratops. And they all died catastrophically when they fell through the ice. They were crossing a frozen lake, and they all fell through and died. So in order wow. to happen, they had to have been there at the same time. So we know they were migrating as a herd. So and we also, and we also know they lived in very cold climates as well. So... The whole world thing. Yeah, yeah. They, they they got the the temperature right as far as we can tell. So you know, there's there's cold blooded animals and there's warm blooded animals, and then there's there's a spectrum, right? So yeah. like mammals are, are are I would say hot blooded, right? And then lizards are cold blooded. And to the best of our knowledge, we think that that uh, dinosaurs were you know warm blooded. They were on the warm side, not quite as warm as us, but definitely mm-hmm. not sluggish reptiles. And I I love to see active moving dinosaurs with high blood temperatures. That's very good science as far as we can tell. <laughs> Yeah. God, that's awesome. Yeah. I really didn't. I mean, I thought that I knew that they were going out of their way to get as much right as possible, but I didn't know that they were, you know, actually doing it. Yeah. They did feel uh, like the, when they made the movie. Um, the, the scientific advisor, Jack Horner, who's uh, a friend of yeah. his, he, uh, you know, he did uh, provide a lot of information and listen to him, which is helpful. So. And, and I was like, they mentioned the book of, they mentioned book by Backer in the movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was also among people they consulted. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Back yeah, there's one of the most proponents of dinosaurs being active and warm very early on. Right, he was a student of Ostrom's. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's. Fun. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was trying to find a way to segue into the warm-blooded thing because that was something for some reason I had missed on every viewing of this movie until Brady and I went back to watch the minute by minute thing when he makes the mention of the uh, brachiosaur. I am getting that right, right? There was a brachiosaurus that he mm-hmm. saw. Okay, great. Uh, that it's uh, that it was warm blooded because of the way it moved, and uh, that was something that I kind of started to pick up on at that moment. And I guess I had missed out on that. That was a theory, but that is the the dominating theory in the field right now is that they were all warm blooded, correct? As far as we can tell, I mean, it's definitely not a okay. thing we know for a fact, but it's it's the best explanation we currently have about how they were able to grow as fast as they could. So an animal like T. Rex during the height of its growth phase put on, I think it's something like five thousand pounds a year for like 10 years like it's a gigantic animal that is amazing um, to grow that fast you need to be warm blood you need to be eating enough you need to be moving enough and you don't see that in let's say snakes for example okay right yeah wow as far as the minute is concerned do you guys have anything else on that i thought the uh, the venom even though it was ridiculous was pretty cool i looked up what they what they uh, made that out of did you guys anybody else look that up no no i'm not i'm not aware of that what is it okay so it's it's this chemical called methicil, which is what they use to make slime in, like, the Nickelodeon show and, like, yeah. out and stuff. <laughs> That's the slime part. Then they use KY jelly and food coloring to make the slime. Mm. <laughs> wow. And I tell you what, he, when they, you know, when he turns around and it spits it in his face, that stuff is just coming right at him. Yep. Like, yeah, right in the face. And it's, it's not a stunt double or anything. I oh, mean, yes, yes. The camera's I, right there in his face. I read they actually used, like, a paintball gun, like, device. In the mouth of the actual puppet. Yeah. yeah. They actually shot no kidding. venom out of its mouth. Really? 
<laughs> That's oh, really cool. Man, I wonder why they didn't show that. <laughs> yeah. I guess it, it would probably would have been a little bit less, a little bit more surprising <laughs> if you just see it at him. But um, they, uh, you know, whenever he actually gets spit in the face and then he turns around, the amount of it has just multiplied so much. <laughs> yeah. And the camera kind of like, it's kind of a cheesy moment, but yeah. the camera kind of like tilts a little bit and there's a big bolt of lightning and thunder. But it all, I like, forgive all of that because of the sound of the acidic yeah. just yeah. burning. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, it's, so, it's so visceral. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it, I, I really love the uh, physical comedy that Wayne Knight has yeah. in him too. You know, you didn't get—I mean, this character for the most part sitting at a computer for most of the movie. Yeah. But uh, you know, on Seinfeld, anybody that's watched a lot of Seinfeld, Wayne Knight is—he's no—he has no problem running around and making himself look like a fool. So he has this kind of like almost Three Stooges sequence where he mm. bangs his head and bangs his head and then he falls it's, down. It's like a very yeah. dark Three Stooges. Uh, it is, yeah. Moments. If, if uh, Mo and Larry and Curly were eaten alive by a dinosaur in <laughs> the episode, yeah. that's what it would have been oh, like. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, yeah, I think we, we, we kind of uh, are, uh, don't really have anything else to ask, but we want to give you guys the opportunity to kind of uh, uh, an open floor here. If there's any subject you'd like to talk about, uh, pretty much you have the floor. So, I have one. Yeah, go for it. Uh, will we ever have a Jurassic Park? Oh, yes, that's a good topic. Ah. <laughs> we should talk more about that. We should, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that we can clone some extinct things. So like animals like mammoths that were frozen in ice, we actually have their whole genome sequenced. So they're not okay. nearly as old as dinosaurs, of course, but they are extinct. And the fact is, you know, it is would be a fairly simple process, I think, to take mammoth DNA and put it into the embryo of, a, let's say, an elephant. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can contrast the dinosaurs there, and environment isn't gone. They pretty much live in the same environment we have today. Yeah, Siberia is still there. So. All, plan, all the plants mm-hmm. that they fed on, they're still there. I mean, it's a little warmer probably than they're used to, but and, and getting warmer every like, year. Like but In the Dota yeah. and the <laughs> Yeah, we, we, have their, Madagascar. we have their DNA in there. So we don't have a Pleistocene part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually something I've I've been interested in. Uh, do Do you think it's? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the mammoth. I'd love to see. I love the Paleolithic uh, type stuff, but uh, or saber tooth tiger for that matter. But the dodo seems like one that you know was kind of completely our fault for yeah, for wiping out. Yeah, it's uh, how do you, uh, so we actually have the uh, the or the Tasmanian tiger, which is actually my favorite animal that ever lived. Uh, yeah, it's you know it's a marsupial. It looks kind of like a tiger, but it lived in Tasmania, and it was all the last. The, the last one died in the 1930s in, in the London Zoo. They forgot to turn the heater on, and it died in the winter. Oh, oh come God. on! Yeah. Come on, wow. humanity! Yeah, we could do that. I think we should. <laughs> do I you? Think we need, I think it's inevitable. It really? will happen. I think that cloning things that never existed at um, the same time as modern humans, so things that went extinct without our influence, like mammoths, I think that's very unethical because it wasn't. Us that drove them to extinction, like like um, you know, Dr. Malcolm was saying, you know, they were selected for extinction, and right. if you were to bring them back, what purpose would they have in life? They would just be there to be studied. Okay, I, I, I kind of life. agree with the ethical with the ethical issue of bringing them back on 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 Earth because uh, you know this whole issue with invasive species and yeah. you're basically creating these uh, these animals and um, like so so here's my is like that's. Humanity is capable of achieving almost anything it puts its mind to. Right. You know, like I mean, if you went back two hundred years and you told people that we would be on on the moon and and you know walking around with these cell phone things in our hands, they'd think we were like gods or that yeah. it was impossible. So you know, when you think about it, in two hundred years from now or in five hundred years or a thousand years, let's say, 
we're going to be on like on planets like Mars, terraforming and colonizing. It, either we were going to be on Mars, or we're going to, or we would have had annihilated ourselves, you know, as a species, right. yeah, you know, yeah, due to global climate change. Like <laughs> yeah. is, is, is in that future, regardless of how long it'll take, once we have a terraformed Mars, we basically have a whole ecosystem that is, that we can put anything in it. It's an it's artificial, artificial yeah. ecosystem. And so we can, we, we don't have to worry about the, uh, you know, uh, uh, bio collapse, bio, the, you know, system collapse on earth or invasive species. So, you know, theoretically, when you think about it, by the time we're on Mars, we probably will have the ability to, you know, if not revive dinosaurs, dinosaurs or from uh, bones or, or anything like that under the Jurassic Park ar- archetype. Uh, genetics might be to the point where we can manufacture organisms from uh, whole cloth. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah ju- just from, uh, yeah, from like almost like three D printing. Uh, if computers are able to get to the point where we like understand the gene- g- genetics enough. You know, I program in morphologies and traits and actually have things. So theoretically, you could think that rather than a Jurassic Park, it could be like a genetics park. We're, you know, we could have like animals that look like dinosaurs versus like, you know, or in the same environment as like, like uh, Cyclops or, or something or like that. Or unicorn. Yeah. Or, yeah, or you, yeah. So, but that's I wonder, in the future. <laughs> I wonder if people would be just as fine with that. As they would be if this was something that was actually. Cool I would. I, I here, would here's totally, what I want. Yeah. To give me, give me yeah. the Peter Jackson Middle yeah. Earth on a planet by itself. Like yeah. just, I mean, cave trolls. If we we're able to, you know, create like Cyclops, like you said, I want in my whatever uh, robot body my brain will be in by that point. <laughs> you know, that's upload my consciousness to that, and that's my heaven from there on out. You know, but I, I, I love. I knew where you were going when you started talking about that hobby, and I'm like, yeah, I'll let this guy go. I can't wait to hear where he's taking this. But a, a, a Mars that is like, you know. Uh, uh, dinosaurs and woolly mammoths and stuff like that would just be so cool. But yeah, it's, it's, I, I the, the Dr. Malcolm thing, the, the ethical part of it. Um, uh, I think uh, Kai, you were saying a second ago that you kind of feel he does, that it would be unethical to bring a dinosaur back in this environment. Is that my understanding? What yeah. You're saying? I mean, I could quote him and yeah. say like we, and this is actually a true thing in, we call it extinction. It's an actual community that you know, people scientists are trying to figure this stuff out, and they're so focused on what they can do and not what we should do. And I think that's right. all important is to make take that step back and be like, yeah, but what's going to happen with them after we're done? You know what? Right. What is the ethical implication of uh, of our science? Yeah, uh, there are also different, there are also different levels of that that's because true. there are some people who actually want to put the mammals once we have them out there back in the wild. In yeah. the wild, like yeah. they think things like. Probably was a self-propagating uh, system that actually kept uh, Ice Age climate a bit more stable, more on the cold side, uh, the mammoth step. That's possible, but we just don't and know. And we what don't it know. And yeah. what they want to do is they want to, as soon as we have them, set them free and see if that works. That's kind of risky. Sec- yeah. That's like second level. That's different matter. Yeah. I personally can see those animals being in zoos, but setting, that, setting them free is a totally different thing. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah yeah absolutely it's yeah, yeah. Hmm. i think we have to figure that out before we can figure out how to do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the other way around probably, probably. <laughs> we will know how to yeah it's like too late this rogue scientist on the other side of the world is already you yeah. know <laughs> write it back but um but yeah the woolly mammoth thing is something i've been following for a while and i'm, I'm actually really excited to uh to if if that actually goes forward i think it would be really cool just to you know visualize what it looks like but uh you know, I guess, I guess that's uh, still a little bit far down the line, though. Well, but um, on it, though, so I mean, 
It's it's going to happen eventually, yeah. definitely. And yeah. Maybe we'll be around to see it. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I yeah. guess that's the big question there. And if not, <laughs> <in VR. laughs> yeah, <laughs> coming soon in the Oculus Rift. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, very cool. All right. Well, um, I, I don't really have anything else. Do you have anything else, Brady? No, that's it for me. Gentlemen, was there any anything else you'd like to cover before we call it a day here? No, I think we're good. No, okay. pretty much. I just want to add, I really love this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. well, and I'm so happy to be here on this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. <laughs> well, ge- gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. You yeah. know, one of the things that Brady and I said when we got into doing originally our other movie, Ghostbusters Minute, is we wanted to uh, try to incorporate as much of the you know facts about the movie, and then also kind of the uh, the history of the stuff that went on, or the philosophies that went on behind the movie. Ghostbusters was great because ghosts aren't real, but we could talk about paranormal studies and kind of the, and I'm using air quotes here, science that goes into a lot of that stuff and how maybe that comes from actual fields of science. Jurassic Park was perfect because here we're talking about dinosaurs. You know, we can talk to people who are geneticists, we can talk to paleontologists, and we have gotten so wrapped up in the minutia of actually putting together the show that we were like getting to a point where we're like, we need to start finding some paleontologists. So, uh, Kai, when you reached out to us, it was really a godsend at the time because we didn't want to get too far into the show without actually talking to people in your field. So, uh, thank you so much for reaching out to us. Thank you for giving your time to come on here. Thank you for introducing us to Ryan. Uh, we are in debt uh, with you guys. And, uh, if at all possible before the show ends in a couple of months, maybe if we could have you guys back on for one more episode uh, as a group or maybe individually uh, we'd really love to do something like that because this has just been a lot of fun tonight if anything else so Uh, that'd be cool awesome well we will be in touch about that and uh ladies and gentlemen that's it for the show thank you so much uh to kai yens and javi for joining us here tonight this has been enlightening it has been a lot of fun and uh you know we'll hopefully hear from them again in the future so brady you got anything else to say that's it for me all right Uh, folks. yeah no just thank thank you guys thank you thank Thank you. you yeah thank you so much all right well we're gonna get out of here i'm kyle i'm brady and until next time hold on to your butts Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Media. Yeah.